in your life, um, I, I hope you claim it. I hope the word of, uh, of God in the next uh, half hour here, that you can really claim and own what you just sang right there, that you give praise to God because he paid our debt. And we're going to walk through a little bit of that uh, this morning in our second uh, morning uh, of encounters is what we're doing, encounters with Jesus. And last week we walked through Peter, and this week we're going to walk uh, through a different character. I, I wondered, uh, just, uh, uh, I'll let you uh, see these names, and then I want you to kind of just shout out what you think is correct. I'll give you the question in just a minute. But uh, these three names uh, are Liam, Jackson, and Aiden. Now, I want you, just like with total confidence, to shout out the name that you think, in just a second, that was the number one name in 2014 for a boy being born. All right? So 2014, boy name. Uh, you got a second to think about it there? All right? So I'll count you off, and you just, with, like with boldness, shout out what you think is the right one. Okay? Ready? One, two, three. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, hey. John Crookshank. John was not on the board. Oh. So we're a little uh, all over the map. I heard a pretty good number of Aidens, but I heard a little bit of everything across there. You want to know what the, the real answer is, the correct answer? It's actually Jackson. 2014, number one name for boys is Jackson. That's, it's amazing. It's amazing. When I was born, the names like Tom and John were still popular, popular names. So Jackson. All right, so we're a little all over the map. Now this morning, after prepping you last week and through email and Facebook this week, let me give you three names on the board. Very popular names at Jesus' time. Uh, uh, James, uh, John, and Judas. Now, with same enthusiasm and boldness, I want you to shout out who you think we're going to be walking through and talking about this morning. All right? One, two, three. Wow, that is pretty impressive. How did you know that? Man, you are impressive. Well, that's what we're going to walk through, Judas. In fact, this name uh, at the time of Jesus, this was a very, very popular name. In fact, if you read outside of the Bible, other Jewish historian contexts, you will see the name Judas pops up quite a bit. Why? Well, because of this guy, Judas Maccabees, who led a revolt uh, somewhere around 170, 165 uh, BC in the favor of the Jews, and he became a hero. And because of the name Judas, uh, when boys were born, uh, mothers wanted to associate with that, and so they would use that name Judas, and lots of boys were named Judas, and then it went along, the, the last name would go along uh, with where that person was from, um, or what, uh, what tribe they were from. So then we get to the time of Jesus, and after we study this character of Judas Iscariot today, you're going to learn that from this time up till now, a couple thousand years, the name of Judas is taking a big hit. In fact, my guess would be, and I know in our church that, that no parent has named their kid Judas. Um, I know that from our roles looking through it, um, you know, nobody really wants to say, oh, look at cute little Judas, what a wonderful little thief. Uh, we don't think about that name when it comes to naming our kid. Why? Because that name is associated with betrayal traitor. And not only betrayal, um, but betrayal of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to walk through that and talk about Judas, though, and make sure we put him in the right context of where he was at and what he did within his context. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about this encounter he had with Jesus. So I decided this week I was going to study every text that had to do with Judas. Now, there's not a ton of texts 
But everything that had to do with Judas, I wanted to look at and read and work through and process through. Because if you remember God's word, it was always written to somebody at a particular time before it was written to you. All right? Which means as it was written, it's, it's in a context to an audience. And then God and his, his amazingness and supernaturalness, he uses that word to impact our lives as well. So as I looked at Judas, I wanted to know what was written about him? What was the context? What was going on at the time? Here's what I discovered in the end of all of this. If I'm not careful, I'm a lot like Judas in several ways. And I think this morning you're going to see you can be, if you're not careful, a lot like Judas as well in certain ways also. And so we're going to look at that. And I want to just talk about three events of encounter with Judas and Jesus, just three events here, and then three points that that we can look at, and they're kind of like, you know, red flag markers for us to look at and to make sure as we're processing and we're growing and we're working through our own Christian walk uh, that we avoid uh, these paths that we possibly can get on. So three events, and and two of them are found, uh, uh, well, they're really all found in the Gospels this morning. with a couple other passages mixed in, I should say. So let me start off with this, this first event. You see, uh, it happens in the book of Luke, chapter uh, uh, 6. And in this particular chapter, uh, Jesus, we find out this story about Jesus, that he goes up to a mountain and he prays. Now, this doesn't seem uncommon to Jesus, right, to go and to pray. Let me just read it for you. You can follow along. One day soon afterwards, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night long. Ever done that one? You prayed all night long. Now, sometimes we do something for like an hour, and we say, yeah, all night last night, you know, I was doing laundry. Um, and we weren't. We weren't. And, and sometimes we can do that with prayer, too. Wow. You know, I prayed all night. That, I mean, that was a long five minutes. So Jesus, I take it, the scripture at his word, that he literally prayed all night long. That's a long, committed time. You might think, well, he's the son of God. Why does he have to actually go pray to God all night long? I mean, doesn't he kind of like, you know, know everything that's, that's he's saying before he even says that kind of thing? It's because it seems like a weird dynamic, right? Well, we just, what we do know is that Jesus takes the time to pray all night. And then we get this next line starting in verse 13. If you look at it, at daybreak, he called together all his disciples and he chose 12 of them to be his apostles. Now, you might think every time the word disciples used, it means the 12 disciples. Not so. This would have been the larger following. His disciples were people that actually, where he went, they would probably tag along as well. So if you can think of like a band, that travels the country, and there's always this group that every stop they go, they travel there as well and go to all the concerts. That's kind of like the disciples here. There was always a group that went with Jesus where he would go, and this is a larger number. Out of that number, he chooses 12, and he calls them his apostles. You're familiar with that, the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles here. Now think about it. Jesus spends all night long. It's that big of a decision to pray. Now think about it. You're, you're, you're on a car lot, right? You know, because something catches your eye and you pull off on the side of the road. Before you know it, you drop $37,000 on a car. Um, big, big decision, right? And you think, man, how much did I pray on that? Now, you might have prayed on it and God said, go for it. Um, or you might have prayed on it and God said, hey, hold back a little bit here. Um, 
But the question more is when a big decision comes our way in life, Jesus here goes and prays. He goes and prays over this decision. Now, what was the result of this decision as it, it gets to be Judas? Here's something that uh, I, I don't know if we wrestle with enough in Scripture. And that's this simple, simple fact. Jesus chose Judas. He chose him. It's clear in Scripture here, there's no question mark to it. Jesus looked at the disciples and he says, I'm choosing 12 and Judas was chosen. If this morning uh, I looked at you and I said, I'm just going to choose five of you. Five of you to just go do something with me. You know, I would just choose who I think is a best fit for whatever it is I'm going to do. Uh, but certainly I would be choosing some and not choosing others. Jesus actually chooses Judas. Now, if you like to, to read uh, commentaries or you like to read writings about Scripture and people that are, know how to break down the language and the context and all that's going on, um, you'll know that even Bible scholars have a hard time agreeing on this section. Some would say just, hey, he chose Judas because he knew what needed to happen. He needed somebody to betray him. He knew, he knew Judas was going to betray him from the beginning. He knew exactly what he was doing when he was choosing Judas. And then it rolled out exactly like Jesus knew. Why? Because he's God. He knows everything. He sees everything all the way up to the point. All the way to the other spectrum where you would have Bible scholars, evangelical Bible-believing scholars, who would say, no, he emptied part of his, his divinity, Philippians chapter 2, to the point where he chose just like we would choose, and then Judas decided to betray him, and Jesus may have not even been uh, aware of that fact. Now, that's the end of the spectrums here. Even Bible scholars have a hard time figuring out where they fall on the spectrum here, and they study it. What we do know is that Jesus chose Judas here. Can I tell you uh, that for us, it's good news this morning that he chose Judas, because the same is true of us, is that Jesus comes and he chooses us. He chooses you. Every single one of us. First thing he chooses you uh, for is to have a relationship, to have salvation with him, to have a connection with the Father. It's why he went to the cross and died on the cross, and he chooses you to have salvation. Now, there's varying theologies uh, out there. and We own a, an understanding of God's word that says anyone— that says yes to Jesus Christ, can have salvation, can have a relationship with God. You're all chosen. There's only one person who can deny that relationship, and it's yourself, to say, no, I don't want to have that. And so we're all chosen. And guess what? Here's the first point for this morning. It feels good to be chosen. Does it not? It feels good to be chosen. When I was in fifth and sixth grade, uh, nearly every Friday night, I would go over to my friend Mark Lightfoot's house, and we would do about the same thing every Friday night when we hung out together and spent the night. We would order pizza, or his parents would order pizza for us. We'd crank call girls. Um, we just thought that was hysterical back in the, in the time. It's probably why I didn't date till college. Um, but... And, and we'd ride our skateboards around, and we would do, like, nothing tricks, but we were really cool at nothing tricks. So that's about all we would do on Friday night, and we'd hang out, and we'd stay up really late, and we'd wake up the next day. And 
somewhere around as early as really 8, 8.30 in the morning, the, the kids would start gathering because Mark Lightfoot lived in a cul-de-sac. And if you remember what a cul-de-sac was, that is the place that you congregate and play. No traffic, right? Out in the cul-de-sac. And so that's what we would do. We would play baseball in the cul-de-sac with really a stick and a tennis ball was our version of baseball. Now, Mark Lightfoot was the shortstop best pitcher in the Little League, Eastside Little League. He was the best player there. All-Stars at the end of the year. Mark Lightfoot was on All-Stars. He was starting. I was watching the All-Star games from the stands, you know. Um, that's where our difference was. Mark Lightfoot was batting third in every lineup he, he was on. I was batting like eighth or ninth in, in all the, the lineups I was in. If I squeaked out a base hit on a good pitcher, it was a blooper over the first baseman's head. Mark was hitting it over the left field fence. So you could see the difference in skill level here. And every single morning, everyone, I can't remember one that wasn't like this, Mark Lightfoot was a, a captain Wayne Kilgore was a captain who was another good pitcher in the league. And every single time, Mark Lightfoot picked me first on his team. Every time. There was plenty of better players at the time because I blossomed much later in life. Um, I mean, I'm hoping to blossom at some point in life. He would pick me every single time. Sometimes Wayne Kilgore would pick first and Mark would pick second. Wayne never picked me. Mark always picked me first. Why? Mark liked me. We were best friends. He chose me. And the same is true this morning uh, for you. God looks down and he says, I don't care how good you think you are. I don't, th- I don't care if you think you messed it up in life and you screwed up and you made just a royal mess of this thing. I don't care if you think you're perfect and have never done anything wrong. I choose you. I do the choosing, he says, and he chooses. He does the same exact thing for Judas. So we need to be careful. Don't go beyond and know what happened to Judas and then go back and, and, and make up some reason. He actually chose Judas, and it feels good to be chosen. Romans 8, 35 through 36, 39, listen to what it says. Can, any, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither the angels nor demons, Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No, the power in the sky above and in earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. He loves you that much. And I'm convinced as I read scripture, not only does he love you, he likes you too. He likes you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to be around you as well. And he did Judas when he chose Judas. It feels good to be chosen. Second event I want to look at this morning comes from the book of John. It's a uh, another interesting passage that happens here. Jesus is in his ministry now. He chose the guys. They've been doing some things, and he's in his ministry. And he has this, uh, this encounter at a house where, where Mary takes this, this very expensive jar of perfume 
And her desire to worship Jesus is such that she actually uses the expensive perfume. And Judas has an issue with this. Let me read it to you. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with them. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Verse 6, important one here, not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. This is a passage, as we read it, we immediately go into bad guy stance for Judas, and and well we should here with his heart and actual actions that are being described in verse 6. But as I read this, I I asked the question, why? I mean, what led Judas from being chosen to this point? What led him to this point where now he was pushing hard against Jesus, even doing something in the shadows that was detrimental not only to Jesus, but to the ministry and what they were there to do. What happened here? Well, that's where the context comes in. You see, when, when Jesus came on the earth and when he started to be, be declared, this is the Messiah come to free us, Freedom for them did not look like what we talk about week after week here in church. When we talk about freedom from bondage to sin and and salvation, that's not exactly what they would have processed it. Many would have processed it just simply in worldly terms that Jesus was coming to bring a political revolution that would overthrow the Roman Empire and that would mount that Messiah figure in charge politically for the Jewish people. It would restore the Jewish nation back to rule and reign that they saw and felt in the Old Testament or that their ancestors would have lived. This would have been the victory. And anyone that was close to Jesus, chosen by Jesus, the 12, well, with that would have been their own prestige and fame. And even riches could have come along with that as well. And so when you think about that context and you start to read the Gospels again, you start to understand why the disciples misunderstood things, why they asked certain questions that we would think are like insulting to Jesus to ask, because they were understanding and and Jesus was having to reveal to them, no, no, this is not really why I came. This is why I came. You remember when he reached down and he washed their feet and he talked about being a servant? He said, no, this is why I came not to be the head and to be served myself. And so you could see Judas probably had a hard time, equally hard time, understanding why Jesus was there. Here's the problem. When we look at guys like, like Peter and John and, and Peter we talked about last week, we can see at some point they latched on and understood and followed Jesus. And they didn't get it totally up to his, resu- or his crucifixion and resurrection, but certainly when he was risen and appeared to them, they understood, and we see that carry out in the book of Acts. Judas obviously doesn't get it. He never connected to that. You see, I think for Judas, he stayed on his own track of what this Messiah should have come for and what he should have done. And so it was very easy for him, 
in that to have his own plan and tracking his own way. And somehow, for him, that involved actually skimming off the top is what we find in verse 6 here. And here we have a situation where this is a very, very expensive bar uh, of, of perfume, jar of perfume, and that this money could be sold to the poor. And I, I, the scripture doesn't say it straight out, but it seems like Judas is saying, I, I could have got some money off that one. And that opportunity is gone because she just poured it all over Jesus and all over the floor. And Judas was probably already at the point where we're starting to think this guy probably isn't who I thought he was. And really what's happening here is Judas had lost patience with Jesus altogether. And he decided he was going to pursue his own path in his own way here when he had lost patience and started to even deny that Jesus was who he was. And point two, if we're not careful, it's often hard to remain patient with Jesus. You ever experienced that in your own life? It's hard to remain patient with Jesus. When Jesus says, hey, if you'll just keep tracking down this path with me, you're, you're going to have great blessing that comes to your life. And guess what happens as we're tracking down that path? I've felt it. You have too. It gets hard. <laughs> Uh, it's just hard to stay faithful and to, to walk that way. We, we feel like we're, we face things and it looks different than what the world is doing around us. And when we don't get the results right away that we hoped, and Jesus is just saying, hey, wait it out. Just walk with me. Wait it out. Do you know that God came to Abraham, came to him and said, your, your wife's going to have a kid. Just be patient. You're going to be the father of a great nation. Just be patient. Wait it out. Wait it out. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that story, there are times when I, I really honestly say, I don't know if I could walk the patience with God that that story describes. It's a powerful story about that, that patience that they walk through. And obviously Abraham struggled with it as well. We find here that Sometimes we have to just be patient and wait for Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I am easily impatient with God. I'm easily impatient with God because I think I'm pretty smart, especially running my own life. I think I'm pretty smart at times. Um, and so I just jump out there. But we find that Judas here, he's more committed to his cause than to Jesus's cause and he gets impatient with the decisions Jesus has made, and he takes matters in his, his own hand. He sees opportunity. He becomes a thief in the process. And then, whether it was simply for money or whether it was just to say Jesus is not who he said, in the end, he betrays Jesus entirely here. Here's a point to remember. Um, when patience with Jesus runs out, watch out. That's a dangerous place for us to be in our life. When patience with Jesus runs out. Because then guess what? All we have is to figure it out ourselves. We don't have the blessing and the power and the help that comes along with Jesus as well. And we certainly find for, for Judas, it just amounted to 30 pieces of silver is what it amounted to in the end. That was the totality of it all. What he could choose, what he could accomplish in his life was 30 pieces of silver. That was all he could get apart from Jesus. The other disciples will read the book of Acts, see what they were a part of, see what they did in his name, far more powerful and lasting. The last event I want to walk through 
with you uh, this morning is an interesting one. In fact, it's one this morning that it might even be a dagger statement to you, and it may be the one that, that really propels and prompts you into your own, your own time with God and healing with God and maybe confession and repentance with God uh, as well. And uh, I want to just read it to you here if I could. It's, it's this time they're sitting at the table, and here's what Jesus is talking here. He says, I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know that the ones I have chosen... But this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. Right there at the Last Supper is the setting. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me, and anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled and exclaimed, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. Now, the disciples, when they heard this, uh, they were very confused, and, and they, we find this in verse 22. The disciples looked at each other, wondering, you know, who could he mean? Who's he talking about here? Then the disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to, to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him, hey, who's he talking about? I think he might have whispered. I don't know. It doesn't say that in Scripture. So that, that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? And Jesus responded, it's the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. And so here, right in the midst after the table at the Last Supper, Jesus calls out the one he now knows. Whether he knew from the moment he chose or whether it was revealed by the Lord along the way, I don't quite know. Again, Bible scholars can't even agree on it. But now is a time where Jesus knows. And he calls out that person in front of the disciples. Now, we always picture this setting where it's like they're all sitting there, right? And Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me. And they go, who? And Jesus said, it's the one who I'm going to dip this. And he takes it and right, right in front of Judas and steps back. And so they all look at Judas and go, oh. But we don't see that in Scripture. It seems like the disciples, certainly when Jesus says, one of you will betray me, nobody turned and said, ha ha, Judas, we knew it all along. Nobody did that at the table. They were confused. They, they, they were like, how could this possibly, surely not one of us would betray you, Jesus. And then when Jesus said, it's the one I dip, he did that. And Judas quietly later got up and left to go do what he was going to do in his betrayal. No disciples held him down. No disciples questioned him there. It seemed like even in that moment, it wasn't perfectly clear to them who Jesus was talking about. But Judas knew. Judas knew really clear. Here's the point, and this is the dagger statement. We learn this from here as, as Judas is sitting there and Jesus is talking about him in the midst. It's possible to pretend to be Jesus' friend. It's possible to pretend to be Jesus' friend. I mean, here's Judas sitting there knowing exactly what he's going to do. He's already conspired with the Roman officials. He already knows what's going to happen. He just needs to go get the payment and lead them to where Jesus is. So there's no mistake who Jesus was. They needed Judas in this way. And yet he's sitting at the table. This is the Last Supper. This is just a few hours before and he's still sitting there, and the disciples are still confused about his loyalty. They, they think, surely not one of us 12 sitting here. 
it's possible to pretend to be Jesus' friend. And, and every week on church campuses, there are people been sitting for years and years, and God is saying, I'm calling you to so much more in our relationship. You're in pretend mode. And there's some of us even here today that, that we're here and we're worshiping we're, and we're part of this, but like we've already planned a way that we'll turn our back on Jesus later. Like it's already part of who we are, part of our thinking. It's probably written into our schedule as well. Here's a great part of that. You haven't done it yet. So right now, right here, you can say, nope, I'm not going down that path again. I'm not choosing that. I'm not walking down through that. I'm going to get right with Jesus right here, right now, this morning. It's possible to pretend to be Jesus's friend. I want to tell you this morning that if we have everyone in our life fooled, such as Judas with the disciples at the table, Jesus still has this way of calling us out. He still has this way of knowing and turning to us and speaking to us. Now, Jesus could have said loud and clear in front of all the disciples, Judas will betray me. Now, everybody tie him down. Let's beat the snot out of him. It's not the route he chose to go. He was actually somewhat respectful to Judas, letting him go ahead and letting his heart lead what his heart had chosen to do. But Jesus will always speak to us. And I believe this morning, even in this moment, there's probably some of you that already Jesus just immediately with that statement being read, Jesus just started speaking to you. Just started speaking to you right now and saying, you know, I have so much more to offer you. And then let me just say for a moment for those who this morning, you might have dealt with a past or you're bringing a past into this, maybe a past sin that have just tore you up so much. And you look at that and you read that statement that I just read and the way you interpret that is I've so turned my back on Jesus. How could Jesus ever have anything to do with me? Two things I'd tell you really quick. Number one, don't follow the example of Judas. Judas's example here, you know what he did? He had remorse. He had sorrow. He felt shameful. He thought there's just, there's no restoration now. And he went out and he killed himself. And I know that for the, for an average group of this size, there have been people that have thought the same type of things. That the only way that you've thought of how to cope and deal with something when you felt defeat or shame or that you've just blown it big time or when you look at it and say, I thought that person liked me, but they're really done and you were wronged in life, is just to go and to end it, to, to just black it out, to clear everything out of your life. And many of you have even had suicidal thoughts in that way. And can I tell you this morning that if that's you, Suicide is never, never the right answer. It's never the right answer. Because Jesus in his word always says, there is restoration and healing and reconciliation for every single person I put on this earth, including you if you've had those thoughts. This morning, if that's you and if you're still having those, could I just plead with you this morning, first of all, to draw close to Jesus' word that we just read. Draw close to someone, some mature believer here in this church that you can talk that out with and that you can hear their biblical response and let them care for you in that way. The second thing I would tell you is follow Peter's example. Peter betrayed Jesus equally. We shared that last week that Jesus, three times 
he said no and denied Jesus, knowing him. And yet he had remorse and shame and whipped bitterly. But what happened? He got before Jesus and he got restored. He got reconciled. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus took Peter and used him in a powerful, amazing way. And we find that in the book of Acts. It's possible to pretend to be Jesus' friend. But you know what, this morning, it's possible to be completely restored and reconciled to Jesus as well. And so as we we close this up uh, this morning, I want to pray for you specifically in that way. I want to pray for your restoration in Jesus. I want to remind you in the prayer that you're chosen. If you feel like you're just another imp on this earth, Jesus never looks at you that way. He's chose you for something special and great. If you're right now going through something difficult and you're having a very, very hard time being patient with Jesus, you know the promise was there. You just can't see any of the results. You can't see it tracking there. Jesus is still working. He's still on, on, on the job. I want to pray for you to be patient. And finally, I want to pray for you. If, if you're one this morning, you thought, man, I've just been kind of pretending in this thing. I can even talk a pretty good game. I want to pray for you this morning that you would find healing and restoration, connection with Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, for this group this morning, um, Lord, a great group, Lord, that I, I've come to love each person in this church so, so dearly, and yet I can't touch the way you look at us, the way you love us, the way you, you'll never back off of us. And Lord, may, very may, well may be there's just somebody here this morning, and what they need to hear loudest from you today is that they are chosen. They're chosen to have salvation. They're, they're chosen in their salvation to, to live for you and, and to do great things in your name and to have value and purpose and worth in this life that comes from you. And I just pray for that person, Lord, that you would hear their words of prayer right now, that they would receive, they would receive being chosen. And that as you say, I pick you, they wouldn't dare say, no thanks, Jesus. This would be the morning they would receive being chosen by you. Lord, I would say a greater number in here, that the greatest number probably is dealing with something in their life that they're having a hard time being patient with you on. And Lord, they can trace back in their life a time where you promised or you said, I will do this. I will be faithful in this area. And they're just waiting to, to see that. Lord, for some parents, they have so committed to you, Lord, that says, you know, we want to build into our child. And yet over the years, Lord, they're watching their child reject and rebel and move away from you, God. And they're just pleading with you, God, to bring their child back to the faith. Help that parent to be faithful, to be patient, that you want to work, and that you will use somebody to work in their life. Lord, for some, I know they're just walking through financial hardship and, and they're just saying, Lord, would you please provide? Lord, help them to be patient as your word promises. You will provide our needs. And the list goes on, Lord. Whatever this morning is being lifted up to you by this congregation right now as we pray, would you receive it and would you give back patience, the ability for them to wait and trust and keep walking with you, Lord. And Lord, finally, I think there's a group in here, Lord, that would identify, if they were honest before everyone, they would identify with the idea that they're, they're doing a pretty good pretending, a pretty good act. And this morning, Lord, they, there's just something more that's drawing them into relationship with you, into connection. And Lord, it may be that there's just 
an ongoing sin or, or something in their life that is the obstacle and it's the barrier. And this morning they want to confess that and repent of that to you, be reconciled to you, and then start this process and start walking. And within that, Lord, if there be anyone in here, anyone in here with thoughts of, of I'll never get it right, might as well just end it that you would on the spot this morning with every heart and every mind that you would rebuke that and that you would flood that heart and that mind with, with your love so much so that those, those thoughts would be washed away entirely. And then would we, in this group like Peter, would we be, come before you, even after our shame, we would come before you and we would be reconciled and have right relationship. And you would use us even to the point that you used Peter in the book of Acts. So send us out, Lord. Send us out in this way, changed, new, and learning more about who we are in you in this world. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. This morning, if uh, the Lord spoke to you in any way and you just want prayer. Last Tuesday morning, the group got together to pray, and, and we had a n- really nice stack of cards, and we, we love that. That energizes us when there's a big stack to sit and pray for you. So if you would take the card that's on your chair and just simply on the back write a prayer request, or just let us know what's going on, and we'd love to pray with that. If you're new with us, we're really glad you're here this morning. I hope you enjoyed being a part of us and, and just connecting with us a little. And if you would, just as much information as you feel comfortable giving us on the front side of that card, just do that and drop it in the offering in just a few minutes and we'd love to connect with you or at very least we'd love to be praying for you this week. So use that card in that way as well would be, would be great. Well, let me highlight a couple things that are going on. This Friday night is our uh, next family fun night together, movie in the park. So we'd love for you to, to come out. It is uh, you know, the, the groundbreaking, I think won many, many Oscars, uh, this movie, um, Journey to the Mysterious Island with uh, The Rock in it. So it's, it's going to be amazing. So, but uh, we will have a good time together. I can guarantee that part of it. And I expect uh, my fried chicken to be good. So we, that, that all will be good. And hopefully the movie will come along with it as well. So we'd love for you to join us, 7.30 Center City Park this week. And then two weeks after that, so three weeks out now, our Grasshopper game. We're selling tickets out there. There's 50 tickets we're selling. And, and uh, they, we've sold, we've sold a, a bunch, so or, or have committed a bunch. So we'd love for you to, to mark that and go with us that night. And it, uh, it'd be, be good to have you. Uh, there's a an activity that may not be in your bulletin. We just want to bring your attention. Men, uh, a men's fishing day on August 1st. Uh, August 1st. So there's a, a sign up if you would uh, sign up for that and, or see Patrick uh, going out early in the morning and, and fishing uh, that day. And great opportunity for men. And if you have a, someone in your life, a guy that you just want to connect with and you're like, man, they're not ready to come to church, but they'll come out with a fishing pole. Great day for that. Uh, so use that uh, as well would be really good. Now, I want to show you uh, just a little promo clip of something that we're doing in September, uh, and then I want to talk about it for just a second, so uh, let's, take a, let's take a peek.